0: CHAPTER Thirty-Three OF THE HALL IN THE GROVE BY Pansy. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. AN EARLY TRIBUTE The Sabbath which closed so eventfully to one of our party, was followed by an eventful Monday morning. Unusually early, Chautauqua was astir, and as many as could get away from household cares sped early down the hill toward the old music-stand, bent on getting another glimpse of a distinguished face, and, if possible, a word from the great soldier. I have not told you that General Garfield was among the guests at Chautauqua during Sabbath, neither have I said a word of the strong and silent homage that was paid him when Chautauqua, too reverent to cheer, too glad to see the honoured guest to make no demonstration, Sabbath though it was, with one consent brought forth handkerchiefs, and fluttered them high and long." you will readily imagine that no more enthusiastic follower than Robert Fenton could have been found among those Monday-morning crowds hurrying down the hill to say good-bye to the General. He had beguiled his mother into taking the trip with him, an easy thing to accomplish, for the mother, being a patriot, was scarcely less proud of the gallant soldier than was her hero-loving boy. They discussed him as they hurried down the avenue together, or rather the boy talked and the mother listened. "'He looks as if he might have been just the kind of boy that they say he was. Don't you think so, mother?' "'I don't know. What kind of boy do they say he was?' "'Oh, wide awake and brave and generous and strong. He got a testament in the first school that he ever went to for being the best scholar.' When Robert was in haste, he allowed sentences to tumble out without regard to grammatical arrangement. "'And you saw all that in his face, my boy? Then I think it must be a grand face.' "'It is grand,' said the boy vehemently. "'I stood close to him yesterday, and I saw grandeur all over it. I wish he had spoken just a few words. Why do you suppose he wouldn't, when everybody wanted him to so much?' I suppose he was too wise. Don't you know his enemies are watching, and if, in an unguarded moment, he said a sentence that they could twist against him, they would be only too glad to do it? Isn't it mean that because a man is wanted for our President some people should become his enemies? He needn't care. He will be President as sure as Election Day comes, and they can't help themselves. Don't you believe it, Mother? Oh, there he is! "'Hasn't he a grand face? Only see what a crowd there is to meet him, and it wasn't announced on the program for fear of a crowd. I guess Dr. Vincent will find we can get up crowds without the help of the program. There is Mr. Masters!' At this point the almost breathless boy stopped his eager tongue, for he had come within hearing distance, and Senator Kirkwood of Iowa was speaking. This is what they heard. Let me say to every young man who hears me and who is endeavoring in a manly way to work himself up to an honorable manhood that General Garfield has been just where you are. He has felt just as you feel. He knows your wants, he knows your feelings, he knows your needs, he knows your aspirations, and he sympathizes with them all. What curiously insignificant things sometimes weigh in forming human character just because at that moment Dr. Monteith, looking among the sea of heads, espied Joseph Ward and bowed and smiled, the young man accepted it as Dr. Monteith's recognition that he was making that very endeavour, and the half-recognized feeling of his own heart that he would like to be somebody after all, took definite shape and decision for the first time that morning. Following General Garfield's introduction by General Fisk came that wonderful white-winged salute which Chautauqua reserved for its special occasions, and which it never seemed to give in such utter abandon as now. Then at last Robert, perching himself on the stump of an old monarch of a long past forest, listened with eager eyes and deeply flushing cheeks to the hero's words, "'Fellow-citizens, you have done so much for me since I arrived on this shore, that I am quite unable to tell what sort of a man I am this morning. I had never been here. I really did not know just what you meant here, and I went around to Dr. Vincent last night and asked him rather bluntly to sit down and tell me what he means, what Chautauqua means, what your work here means." and he filled me so full of your idea that I have not yet assimilated it as to be quite sure what manner of man I am since I got hold of it. But this I say, you are struggling with one of the two great problems of civilization. The first one is a very old struggle. It is, how shall we get any leisure? That is the problem of every hammer-stroke, of every blow that labor has struck since the foundation of the world." The fight for bread is the great first primal fight, and it is so absorbing a struggle that, until one conquers it somewhat, he can have no leisure whatever, so that we may divide the whole struggle of the human race into two chapters. First, the fight to get leisure, and then comes the second fight of civilization, what shall we do with our leisure when we get it? and I take it that Chautauqua has assailed this second problem. Now leisure is a dreadfully bad thing unless it is well used. A man with a fortune ready-made, and with leisure on his hands, is likely to get sick of the world, sick of himself, tired of life, and become a useless, wasted man. What shall you do with your leisure? I understand that Chautauqua is trying to answer that question, and to open out fields of thought to open out energies a largeness of mind a culture in the better sense with the varnish scratched off we are getting over the business of varnishing our native woods and painting them we are getting down to the real grain and finding whatever is best in it and truest in it and if chautauqua is helping garnish our people with the native stuff that is in them rather than with the paint and varnish and goo of culture, it is doing well. Now, therefore, Chautauqua has filled me with thought, and, in addition to that, you have filled me with gratitude for your kindness, gratitude for this great spontaneous greeting in the early morning. You are an audience of mixed citizens here, and I will not offend the proprieties of the occasion by discussing controverted questions." I look in the faces of men of all shades of opinion, but above our opinions, I hope, and below our opinions, I believe, deeper down than our party affiliations, I trust, is to be found in all this audience that love of our beneficent institutions which makes it possible for labour, and free labour, to earn leisure, and then for our free institutions to make our leisure worth something when we have it. Our union, and our institutions, under the light of our equal laws, equal to all colours, equal for all occupations, open a career for every man, however humble, to rise to whatever place the power of a strong arm, the strength of a clear head, and the aspirations of a pure heart can lift him. And that is a career that ought to inspire every young man who hears me this morning i heard last night and yesterday the songs of those who were lately redeemed and i felt that there too was one of the triumphs of our great republic i have some belief in the effects of forces that come down away from the ages behind us and i wondered if the tropical sun had not distilled its sweetness and if the sorrow of centuries of slavery had not distilled its sadness into the voices which were unutterably sweet and voices fit to sing the songs of freedom as they sing them wherever they go i thank that choir for the lessons they have taught me since i have been here and now fellow-citizens thanking you all i bid you good-bye even if you are bringing into view all the many little kindly acts that robert masters had done and is doing for the boy robert fenton I doubt if any of them will ever rise into higher importance in his mind, or give him a happier heart than he had when Robert the Elder touched his arm on that eventful morning, and showed him a small paper, covered with hieroglyphics, of which the only readable sentence was this, to be copied for young Fenton to keep. His face was radiant. "'Thank you,' he said. "'Wasn't it grand? Oh, hurrah!' The last word shouted as loudly as even he in his eager boyhood wanted to shout, for amid the peal of the bells and the waving of handkerchiefs, were not the many voices giving three cheers for General Garfield? And when, as they died into echoes, a prophetic voice shouted, "'Three cheers for our next president!' The enthusiasm knew no bounds. In the midst of it all came a hush, for the unutterably sweet voices were singing, THIS IS THE YEAR OF JUBILEE, YOU SHALL GAIN THE VICTORY, THE LORD HAS SET HIS PEOPLE FREE, YOU SHALL GAIN THE DAY. As the departing guests neared the landing and boarded the steamer, the crowd surging closely after, and the singing rising like a shout of triumph from the wonderful voices of the jubilees, and the morning sun made a path of gold for the boat to slip away in, and the white wings of salute fluttered aloft, the music changed, and the great company of people joined the Jubilees in their farewell chorus, Oh, glory, Hallelujah! and the steamer slipped swiftly and silently away from shore. End of chapter thirty three.